1: Hello, citizens of Podcast Verse. That's right. You asked for it. The dynamic duo of Rabbi B and Dr. D back at it again, fighting the forces of meaninglessness and the existential vacuum wherever they go. By day, logo therapists and people out helping people. But by night, two of your fi- favorite podcasters in the realm of logotherapy. B, how you been, buddy? It's been a long time since we've been together. I think our audiences have been looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, my inbox is flooded with emails of people uh, asking where you guys been. So here we are. <laughs> That's. You I have happen.
1: actually been accosted on the street and at my yeah. own house by people demanding the return of Rabbi B. Um, one of them, as you know, the running man himself It's uh, like, come on, man, I'm not listening anymore unless B comes back.
0: Here we are. Get ready to run, people. Get ready to run. <laughs> Get ready to run. <laughs>
1: All
0: so what right. have you been up
1: to? What's been going on? And, you know, I think that's what we talked about today, like sharing with our audiences where we've been, where we're going, what we've been doing to live meaningful lives. What have you been up to?
0: Good question. Um, well, I'd say professionally and personally, because it crosses into both is for me the Enneagram for first-time listeners it's an ancient personality assessment system that i've been really immersed in for a few years now and i've been building my own program and it's just been kind of a night and day love hate affair you know it's a passion project but it's also um, i'm designing it for other people so i gotta keep you know keep somewhat uh sane and presentable in the process so i've been really deep in that and now i'm coming out the other side it's done Um, We are launching it, a new website, defiantspirit.org. My program is Defiant Spirit, Defy Your Number. And it's all driven by the fuel, the inspiration of our beloved Dr. Viktor Frankl. So I really have my foot in two different passionate worlds for me and now merging them together. And I think I can honestly say never before done in history, Viktor Frankl meets the Enneagram.
1: I think you've got a really good point there, uh, despite both being, uh, fonts of wisdom and a lot of ancient wisdom. Like, yeah, I don't think these two have been put together. So that's going to be pretty amazing. I'm excited to, uh, to take a look at that and to, and to send people that way.
0: Yeah. Um, so right now I am getting the program out there and, you know, it's, uh, um, it's, um, nine, there's nine different Enneagram types. So there's nine eBooks and you can. Download them or soon you will be able to download them. Do it yourself or you can work with me. And I'm also working in uh, corporations, organizations, bringing this to more of a macro level. So full long um, response to your great question. What have I been doing? That's pretty much all I've been doing. And I uh, ask our listeners to forgive the pounding in the background. Got some uh, construction going on downstairs. So we'll try and make do.
1: I think that's been the fun thing both you and I have talked about off podcast is a All the home projects we've had to be enduring this summer, you and your construction projects back there, me and the wonderful, you know, how much I was looking forward to the addition of a new septic system in my yard. And, uh, what an amazing experience I've, um, the, the trails left by these giant moles through my yard are something to behold. And, well, you can, uh,
0: you can check it off the bucket list. Everybody wants to put in a new septic system.
1: Absolutely, and and then to have to reseed their yard and repair a driveway, it's it really is a, a very meaningful task. Let me tell you, it's it's been nothing but uh, a blessing to me and my family uh, for the past several weeks. But uh, before we go on with our humor shtick, um, let's talk about the spirit.org, right? Yes,
0: but and then we're coming back to what you've been up to. But okay. Oh, absolutely,
1: Bye. absolutely. I want to touch on that because I know uh, the Defiant Spirit definitely one of the core tenets of logotherapy and in Dr. Frankel's teachings, but particularly important to you. What is it about that idea uh, of his that so appeals to you that you're, you're molding an entire program for individuals and organizations around that what's, what's up with that B?
0: Yeah, I would thank you. That's really just gets right down to the heart of my life purpose. I, I believe is to take these two words and then to, help them live in modern, meaningful ways. So um, as as you mentioned, this is the crux, I would argue, of Dr. Frankel's thesis, life's work of within us, there is a place um, of essence, of logos, of meaning, of purpose, of spirit, whatever you want to call it, the noetic. And our life's mission is to find it, to draw upon it, to live it. Now it's somewhat easy to do when you're you know celebrating life cycles and sitting on mountaintops and looking at rainbows and kumbaya, but can you find it? Um, how do you find it? When it hit, hits the fan, when life presents to you far more difficult problems than your septic tank and my construction problems, but you know tragedies, trials, traumas. And it's at that, those moments where we have to be able to find something bigger than ourselves to transcend whatever it is we're confronting. And so the Defiant Spirit really is that place. And how do we find it? Well, Dr. Frankel provided for us so many um, wisdom tools, but the Enneagram also provides wisdom tools. And so that's really what it is, is using those tools to access that place.
1: Yeah, and and I definitely wanna point out, you, you said the word many times, Find it, find that meaning. That's such a critical component to it. And, and I was reminded of that often in my studies that it's not about creating meaning, making meaning, but that meaning is you know, we don't have to bring it to light. We have to, we don't have to shape it or mold it. We have to discover it in our lives, in all of these ways, in these, in these tasks that we carry out in our suffering. It's one of the things I tell uh, my men's group very often is the, despite the traumas we may have faced, despite uh the, the the suffering we've been through we can always choose to turn that into achievement and in turning suffering into achievement into accomplishment discover meaning that way
0: well i think we have our topic for today and i would just change those words is that one word or two words in spite uh, it's two words right In spite. i think no, so in word. spite yeah well anyways it doesn't matter but um i would say because of Right? not in spite of the suffering because of and that's a very controversial tender topic but i think it's a paradigm shift when we stop seeing this as you know you can discover meaning versus there's an imperative right mm-hmm. within inside of you crying out to f- discover that meaning mm-hmm. um, and so i'd love to talk about it that the difference between making meaning, as you said it beautifully, and discovering meaning. Because I think just that in and of itself is a huge paradox shift.
1: But, yeah, and, and, and I'm going to add to my notes, uh, crying out, because you're so right. Crying out. I know we're avoiding what I've been up to, but we'll, we'll get there. But crying out. Our our world is crying out. Individuals are crying out for this meaning. And that's why we see such high rates of depression, anxiety, and medication, and trauma. And we'll talk more about that.
0: We are coming right back to that after these words from Dr. Dan about what he All did. right.
1: So I've been looking forward to sharing this story with you. I know we've talked a bit about it um, and, and quite a few people in my audience were, were actually looking forward to what I was up to this summer. I took a break from the podcast, um, recycled a few episodes to share again. really took some time away to be with friends and family and the cool thing i got to do is i got to uh you talk about mountaintops and scenic vistas i took my youngest daughter to greece to uh, see and hear and experience some ancient history but that's that's the short version i'll I'll give you the long version but because this isn't joe rogan's podcast i won't give you the three-hour version i'll kind of give you the medium version um this was a great opportunity several years ago when i took my oldest daughter to South America, to Peru, to see um, Machu Picchu. And it, it happened in, in quite a serendipitous way. She had a history teacher, wonderful gentleman, who said uh, to his class one day, I want to see Machu Picchu before they close it down. And so he found a tour company that specializes in these educational tours and he shared it with the kids. My daughter comes home, she goes, Dad. I got it. I, I want to go please. And I said, well, okay, that's quite a price tag. Um, we did fundraising. and I jumped right on board, man. A fundraiser. We did cookouts at the football games and, you know, put money back and paid a little bit each month. But I said, say, what if I'm paying for you to go to Machu Picchu, I am sure as heck going to find a way to be a chaperone. And so I uh, endeared myself to this wonderful history teacher um, I wrote the most, uh, one of the most well-worded emails I've ever sent. Like I'm, I'm a therapist. I'm a logo therapist, specializing in meaning. And at that point I had coached a lot of those kids in soccer too. He said, fine. Okay. Okay. You can be a chaperone. You're chaperone. Number three, I'm like, What three. How am I? Number three. Who's more qualified than me? He says, well, my wife. So he went, his wife went and I got to go as a third chaperone. We took. My oldest daughter's a group of 15 or 20 students through uh, Peru, Machu Picchu, the Amazon. It was spectacular. It was a beautiful thing to share with her and a great experience with other kids as well to see them open up to the magic of, of travel, of experiencing other cultures, of experiencing ancient cultures.
0: Dude, I took my kids to Omaha. <laughs>
1: Well, okay. Look, we do that too. I mean, we just go to the next Farmville over every once in a while, but these, these are kind of the special ones. These are those meaningful moments in life that I feel, and I share this all the time. Like you have to embrace when this came about. I mean, the price tag was pretty hefty. I'm like, you know what, hon, we're going to make that happen for you. And and I certainly want to find a way to go with you as well. So we get back from Peru. This was obviously pre COVID. And uh, he says, you know what? I think next I want to do Greece. I said, Hey, I'm in. What do we got to do and that was when the youngest one signed on board she said well dad i definitely like to do greece and uh i you know his uh, the the teacher's wife didn't want to go so i got to be chaperone too i was like i was moving nice. up in life b um and then it got suspended by covid we were supposed to go last year didn't get to go and uh come january we're gearing up we're preparing making sure all our students have passports <clears and stuff. throat> he calls me up in january he says hey i got bad news i said oh no what's up man He said, well, uh, you can't be a chaperone on this trip. Like what? He goes, yeah, I took a new job, so I can't go. So you're going to have to lead the whole thing. All right. There be there's a vast difference between just kind of, you know, hiking around with kids, being a chaperone and trying to organize a group of 50 parents and students and their passports and air travel and all that. Um, That's what the number was back in January. Thankfully, sadly, but thankfully for me personally, Um, A lot of people opted to hold off and wait because of vaccine mandates and different travel concerns. So I wound up taking a group of maybe 10 students and parents from my daughter's school, meeting up with some students and teachers from D.C. and Virginia. And we had a wonderful guide and we started out in Athens and went up to the Parthenon and went to the Temple of Poseidon and all around the Greek countryside, ate a lot of feta, my God, so much feta, and uh, had a very meaningful experience with my daughter and and she got to share that with you know kids from all over the country too so um all of that to say when you have those opportunities for meaningful meaningful opportunities you got to grab hold of it
0: that's true i've um taken quite a few groups when i was back in the day when i was a rabbi to israel and i guess you know maybe that's a segue into our conversation because you're standing on meaning right i mean these, you know, there's just so much, you can't even pick up a stone in Israel, I'm sure the same as Greece without, you know, the uh, antiquities department coming up and saying, you know, that's a that's an important piece of historical fact right there. So there's just something, you can just feel it, mm-hmm. right? It exists in the, you know, in, in Israel, in the, the Western wall, the Kotel, the, the Wailing Wall, mm-hmm. thousands of years of hopes and dreams and prayers, right? Just kind of infused in that space and you can feel space absorbs it or the place absorbs it or meaning is meaning is a thing and i guess that's really what i one of the things i've taken away from my studies of victor frankl is you know again we don't invent meaning i don't impose it on a subject a situation an experience my work is to go into the experience and discover it cuz it's there
1: and i think that's true for our work with uh individual clients and and corporate clients or coaching clients like the meaning is inherent it is there we get to help uncover it we don't have to craft it we don't have to make it there's not a message there it's there to be discovered it's there to be withheld and and you're so right like it's funny here in the states uh you know when when we feel something's old like wow that's a hundred year old building it's that's that's so old it's wow back in boston it's 150 200 years old you go over into the Middle East to Greece. They're like, oh, yeah, we think that's probably about maybe 3,000 years old, 4,000 years old. And it's just insane to think of, of, like you said, all that history, all those hopes and joys and fears and tears that go into those different places. Um, it is it is something I think people should experience more.
0: Well, it's relevant, too, whether or not you're in a place that's uh, thousands of years old, you know, historical monuments or a brand new building because there's a culture, there's a energy, there's a, just a meaning that exists or doesn't exist. I was just in a business the other day and, you know, it just, you could feel the, the vibe of the place. I went to another one, you know, doing some work and it was a totally different meaning. It was a totally different essence. Nuos as Dr. Hmm. Franco might've called it. So these things are real. We just can't necessarily see them, but we all know that. You know that when you walked into your house for the first time and you're trying to decide to buy it, you've walked away from opportunities that just, it didn't feel like yours. It didn't feel it didn't feel the connection.
1: Yep. It's uh, um, I'm going to make this three podcasts in a row where we talk about the idea of culture. You cannot be in a group of other human beings and not have culture. We create it naturally through our Our overt messages, the messages we share verbally and and physically, but through the unspoken messages as well, through our attitudes, our our choices, our decisions, that culture is such an important part of of who we are as as a family, as a work organization, as a community. And we can consciously choose a culture of meaning or we choose other cultures of destruction, gossip, um, uh, uh, Capital—not capitalism, but the, you know, consumerism—we um, can choose our—we can choose our culture. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. And as you said earlier, that idea that people are crying out for this because we've chosen cultures of destruction, cultures of the existential vacuum, for so long, we are crying out. And I think that's why we see such high rates of depression and anxiety and medication. There are better ways to deal with
0: the world we live. In. And you you had a good point. You know, culture is happening. You know, we have this fancy word. I don't even know if I could even define it really push comes to shove, but we all kind of know what we're talking about, but it happens when two people enter into a relationship, there's a culture, right? And so it's going to happen. It does happen whether or not you're consciously creating it. That's another issue. Mm -hmm. And I'm working with a company here in Denver right now, and they're consciously creating culture and you can feel it. It's on their walls, literally their culture, their values. We're putting the Enneagram up there. They're, they're using it to communicate. They're checking in around it and you can feel the intentionality of the place. And it's just, it's a higher vibration. It's a higher energy. You want to be there.
1: Mm -hmm. That's such a good point. The last, last group I worked with, it it was amazing uh, that through the time I worked with them, um, one person changed Mm -hmm. and it, impacted the entire now of course the education and the exercises we went through and did also improved it but it's amazing to think that just sometimes a little change an intentional change and i think that word is very important we have to be intentional about our culture or else it will happen and it'll happen on its own and in unintentional ways so whether it's again the culture of your family the culture of your work group or organization or business yeah you have to be intentional about it and i would hope You choose a meaningful culture. You choose an Enneagram-based, an MBTI Enneagram-based culture, right? But you choose your culture.
0: So I could see somebody challenging right now, because I think in some ways it sounds like mixed messages. We're creating culture, but you just said, Dan, we don't create meaning. We discover meaning. Mm -hmm. So how do we rectify this difference, creating, consciously creating culture on the one hand and discovering meaning on the other hand?
1: All right. That's a good one, B. I'm ready. So, of course, we create culture. We decide, as a group, as individuals, as leaders, what the culture will look like. Well, what does a culture of meaning look like? Uh, healthy, positive communication, accepting differences, learning that difficult times in the organization are opportunities to grow and thrive, to turn suffering into an achie- into achievement. But then also looking at that magical. Uh, meaning triangle of our attitudes our experiences and our creativity we find meaning in these three things in a work environment if you have an attitude of allowing people to be creative to create even in seemingly mundane situations you offer them an opportunity to discover meaning you consciously choose the culture but then you give them the opportunity to discover meaning through their creativity through their attitudes through their experiences of helping others what an what a beautiful opportunity for meaning So in a work environment, you can have people working separately and tell them to go about their tasks and do it, or you can encourage them to collaborate and to help one another. And there is an opportunity to discover meaning.
0: So what I'm hearing is I'm fleshing this out. You know, as we talk, we're not, we didn't prepare these ideas. Um, That's part
1: of our culture, B. We don't prepare here.
0: (laughs) We don't prepare. (laughs) Yes. We just roll. (laughs) There we go. That's our culture. It's a fine fine line. but no, it's it's a, it's a means, right? The culture isn't inherently good or bad. Um, it's much more of the means of does it, you know where does it get us to? Does it get us to a good place? Does it get us to discovery of that meaning underneath all of this, or does it impose? Does it um, obstruct us from getting there? But the culture in and of itself isn't the point, right? Nobody wants to just create culture for culture's sake. It's what's on the other side of that, the experience, like you said, the discovery, the purpose, all of this stuff, but there's, you, you need to have a structure to get there.
1: Well, and, and I think you're absolutely right. That idea of, of consciously creating culture, what's on the other side? Well, if you do it in your family, you have happier, healthier relationships, children that grow and thrive and, and hopefully a family that works together in happy, healthy, positive ways. And an organization, if you consciously choose culture, well, what, what do business, what are businesses built to do, make money and help people, right. And when you consciously choose the, your culture, you can focus it to helping people and having a better bottom line culture, you know, is imperative in doing that.
0: I just had this experience with the Enneagram, sort of um, understanding the culture of a, an amazing organization here in town. And they thought they were completely diverse and they were in ethnicities, colors, religions, sexuality mm-hmm. around the table. It looks diverse. And then we did the Enneagram. And let's say that I think there were 10 people around the table. Um, nine of them had the Enneagram seven as their thinking type, mm-hmm. which is the enthusiast, it's the visionary, it's the upbeat, you know, happy-go-lucky kind of energy. And There was one guy who was either a six or a five, which is much more of a cerebral, intellectual, quiet, reserved. And when we started to look at this, he he said, there's a culture here. If you're not running with the sevens, you're not really welcome at the table because they're hopeful. And he's a pessimist, but we need sort of that negative um, view of things, poke holes in things, challenge the assumptions. He was the, you know, deemed as sort of a wet blanket and There was a culture around that and they had no idea. So cultures, you know, are much more sophisticated than sort of the obvious, usually ways we talk about cultures.
1: Well, and when we when we exist in a particular culture over a certain amount of time, especially a a work culture, we just get used to it. We may not be thriving in it. We get used to it. And obviously that organization got used to that culture. And it, it sounds like it was starting to fall into some negativity in that. You know, the sevens are just kind of rolling the roost and, and and this poor cerebral type is just sitting, sitting out back thinking his deep thoughts that nobody's listening to. I know in, in organizations that I work with, it's, it's usually the extroverts running the show and the introverts are sitting there just saying, I wish you would listen to me someday. But it's true, they don't true. know that until they go through a process like the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram and and you show them the data. Look what we've observed here. Look at what these assessments have shown you. And everybody goes, oh, Yeah. That feels right.
0: So I'm, I'm working with an organization, a leadership type organization, and they do their Enneagram assessments and they're all Enneagram sevens and eights. Um, hmm. Sevens are, as, as I described, the visionaries and eights are the kind of powerhouses. And it is so clear that they've never once challenged this assumption. There's really no room at the table for the quieter types, the Enneagram fours or fives or sixes. And then we started talking about um, Susan Cain's book, Quiet. Have you ever read Quiet?
1: I was, I think I recommended it twice this week already.
0: So I'm sure it's on the bookshelf there behind you somewhere. But, ah, um, I, think it's a, I think I've got it digital. I don't know. I may have even listen to it. But. It's it's a worthy read for anybody who's listening because it's basically how we've created this culture that we're talking about that really rewards the assertive, aggressive, v- v- verbose, you know, outward extroverted types and penalizes any everybody else and that's 50 percent of the population whatever it is that is either trying to be somebody they're not to fit Mm -hmm. into the dominant culture especially in corporate america or they don't show up at all and that's a shame
1: yep they don't show up at all and yeah you're exactly right i believe the the full title is quiet the power of the introvert or power of introvert thinking and uh yeah I, i remember that chapter really well about how industrialized America really accentuated extroversion and hey you gotta get out there and do the speaking and you know be talking and, and always be the first one to to share in a meeting and meanwhile introverts are going no that doesn't feel right for me and we never really honored how how they operate and that's really one of the important things that, that I have to bring to a lot of organizations is hey you extroverts you know I I think be we can safely say two people like us probably a little bit tendency towards extroversion. It's, it's guys like us that have to sit back, count to seven or nine or 15 and wait for the introverts to process those thoughts to be able to share them. And when we do, we get we get gold, mm-hmm. but it's hard to do sometimes.
0: Um, I was just as preparing, obviously, I'm all things Enneagram right now. And I was looking at um, white collar criminals mm. and their profiles and they're disproportionately Enneagram threes, which is the achiever. And they're part of this assertive type. But you know, I was watching the documentary about Elizabeth Holmes. Um, she um, the biggest scandal in history. She basically swindled all the investors out of you know billions of dollars. I, I just blanked on the name of her company, but it was just a couple of years ago. Silicon Valley startup. Um, oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was the one that uh, something about blood testing or yeah, some kind of testing. Yeah. Yes, blood testing, but it never worked and she never disclosed any of that. And anyways, a great documentary on Netflix or Hulu or something, but she was clearly a three, Madoff's clearly a three. You start going down the list. That was the
1: one I thought of. Repeat that name. That was uh, Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff. Yes, everybody knows that name.
0: But you can see look, it's not to say all Enneagram threes are white-collar criminals, but a lot of white-collar criminals are Enneagram threes, and I can see a pattern as I was studying. There's a pace that they create that they can't keep up with. Mm-hmm. So they're going so fast, they start cutting corners, they start covering up sort of semi-truths, half-truths lies, and the lies get bigger. And you watch, you know, read the book about Marty Madoff, it's amazing. It just gets out of control and he can't stop the train. And now it's a Ponzi scheme because he's moving things around and you can just feel that energy could have been averted if he would have read Susan Kane's book, right? Or right. embodied right. those principles. brought i'm sure enron and all these other examples probably had that same Mm -hmm. uh, corporate culture it's too fast there's no room for uh poking holes there's no room for second guessing there's no room for slowing it down Mm -hmm. Uh, you get yourself into trouble
1: yeah well let's take it even a step further to to our uh mentor dr Frankel himself right uh, yeah, you can read Susan Cain's book, but what if you read *Man's Search for Meaning* and realize we don't have to move at this fast pace to continue to buy the things and get the stuff and and all of that. But you know, when we look to work in a meaningful situation, when we w- work to serve others, to transcend the self, that's where that's where life is at. But when we find ourselves chasing more and more consumers and when we chase the things all the time. It it winds up being meaningless. And so many people have shared that story that they get to that point of recognizing, "Uh oh, I'm in trouble. How the hell did I get here? And it's it's that process of going in the wrong direction too hard, too fast, and not allowing other people to come in and say, hey, 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 wait, wait, maybe we should do something different.
0: I would also add to that back to our kind of original last minute topic, which is, I think there's a difference between discovering meaning and making meaning because making is another doing. It's another verb. It's a, you know, it's such an American, Western, modern idea that I can you know, with chutzpahs we say I can make meaning. I can't make shit. I can't make a flower grow. I can't make a butterfly. You know, come. I'm gonna make meaning, right? It's just so arrogant, and then I can feel like I got to make this happen. I used to do this as a rabbi. It's just, Every profession, you do this. I gotta make a great talk and get up there, and I gotta, I, 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 I me, 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 faster, 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 more, mm-hmm. and you can just feel you're, you're you're blowing right past the meaning. Like it's yeah. there. Stop. Slow down. Take a deep breath. Go into it. Yep.
1: Same thing as a, as a clinician or as a consultant, right? I gotta go in. I gotta fix this person. I gotta fix this organization. I gotta fix this team. I gotta. It's like no, no, no we are blessed to be able to be witnesses to the change and to have some knowledge we can share to help people take hold of. But you're right. That is, you know, we talk about this a lot. Such a such a Western US thing that we, oh, we're going to go do it. And whereas many other cultures are, just have that natural ability to step back and be like, that's okay, it'll happen.
0: But it's hard to break the pattern um, because I imagine those clients who come to you at some level or maybe explicitly are saying fix me. Right, tell me what to do. I get this all the time. Just tell me what to do. Oh, oh I love that one. I, I can't yeah. tell you. You know, this is your life. You're driving the bus. Yeah, I,
1: I think m- most uh, most of the people I work with have gotten to the point that they just roll their eyes as they come. That comes out of their mouth. They they know like he's not going to do that. I know he's going to say no. They catch themselves mid-sentence. Just tell me, oh, I know what's coming now. No, that's not what we do. We don't tell people what to do. We're not, (laughs) I guess that's the difference between a physician and and a a logo therapist, right? Physicians will tell you what, take this, take two of these and call me in the morning. Uh, But unfortunately, that kind of medicine hasn't been working too much for our crying out for meaning
0: in the past few decades. Which is, you know, again, why we can't do that because I can't make it. And I can't discover it for you. If I discover it, it's not yours, it's mine. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can empower you on the journey of discovery. And that's about Let me see if I can
1: remember this story from one of our, did you have ever have the uh, wonderful Dr. Reverend Jeremiah Morasso back in your studies at GTF? I did not. He was, I believe he was a a practicum teacher for, I may even had a class with him, but he shared this beautiful story of what it means, what it means to be a logotherapist, what it means to be a helping professional. He said, you know, for the people out there, for the groups you'll work with, just think of them as an anchor that's been dragged at the bottom of the lake for for hours and it's just covered in muck and mud. And your job is to help uncover that anchor, to help wipe away the mud. That anchor is the meaning. And in our lives, we just pick up too much muck and mud And our job, not just as clinicians, as logotherapists, as helping professionals, I think that's our job as human beings to other people, is just to help a little bit. And and in doing that, um, the great poet and prophet himself, Joe Rogan, said this the other day, when you do nice things for other people, it's being selfish because it actually helps you feel better.
0: Is that why you have the grooming habits that you do, because of your mentor? Because of my, I I wish I had the workout habits of Mr. (laughs) uh, Mr. Rogan, but yes, that is the grooming habit. Um, Yeah, and you know, as you're talking, I'm seeing that imagery of the anchor and the shift of discovery. I see this a lot with um, men in particular, and especially sort of the midlife crossroads. Discovery by going down versus going out, going into versus going wide, Mm -hmm. right? Not to change your spouse, to change your job, to change your car, to stand where you are and go down into that anchor into the mud, which is usually not always, but usually where you're going to discover that meaning Mm -hmm.
1: because you, you go down into yourself to discover that meaning rather than going out into the world to consume more, to get the fancy car, to, to look for the new, uh, eye candy on your arm. Um, I think that's such a good point. and I really like I, I don't know if you did that on purpose, but the I believe you called it the midlife crossroads instead of the midlife crisis. that's uh, mm-hmm. is that intentional? is that is that a beism there, or what's that about?
0: I'm sure I didn't make it up, but I definitely have gone through those crossroads like four times, and so <laughs> I, uh, I I know it pretty well, so yeah, i've come, I've become fond of the crossroads. it's It's never really been a crisis as painful as it is. Yeah. Um, But maybe we have another podcast on there.
1: Well, that's a great point. I think when we treat it as a crossroads, as an opportunity, rather than than a when we treat it as an opportunity, it doesn't turn into a crisis. But when we go the wrong direction, it can become a crisis.
0: I think that's a really great insight. And if you're willing to stop at the crossroads, take a little time, right? Dig down into it um that's usually the best path when i've gone rushing through it like i'm an enneagram eight which is one of the most assertive aggressive go get them types and every time i do i end up having to backtrack go mm-hmm. back to the crossroads slow it down thank through back to
1: the crossroads consider that turn hey sometimes even maybe get a mentor a coach a therapist a logo therapist to, to help you decide which way to go
0: well and that's probably a good place to end you can reach out to dr dan who'd be.
1: Happy to hear oh, from you and work with you. Yeah. Right. How about, uh, well, and, and okay. So that's a, that's a good segue really quick into yes. Uh, by next year, hopefully look, my, we talk about callings in life. My calling ever since studying logo therapy is to get this out to more people. I think I've said it many times. My, my professors and, and, and instructors were just tired of me talking about more people need to know this. And they said, do something about it. And I did. And that's why you and I are talking. And that's why there's a meeting project podcast. And I think. Wow, Uh, there's only so much of me to go around in clinical hours on a daily basis. So hopefully by next year, I'll be able to offer a little bit more in a virtual sense, maybe some virtual uh, group coaching and educational material in mental health and meaning. So if you can't make it to my office in Little Farmville, Indiana, uh, maybe we'll still be able to interact. So as you work on your Enneagram project, uh, I will be working on a mental health and meaning project. And I have a feeling, should meaning, should the news, should the spirit allow it, there might be a team up coming up here someday.
0: Count me in, Coach. I'm ready to play.
1: <laughs> Outstanding.
0: It's always been a always a pleasure to jump on these calls with you, Dan, and uh, really explore uh, the noetic, the, the spiritual in my life.
1: Absolutely. Hey, B. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, where do they get a hold of you?
0: defiantspirit.org and you can find all things Enneagram, Viktor Frankl, and Baruch Halevi.
1: Outstanding. I'm going to need to find a a better, like easier to spell name because I actually have to spell my website. That's uh, danielafrans.com D-A-N-I-E-L-A-F-R-A-N-Z dot com. B, always a pleasure, man. Can't wait till we do it again.
0: All right, brother. Until the next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center, a center for spirituality, meaning, and healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your five spirit.